Hello everyone and welcome to another week of DF Direct Weekly, the show where we take a look at news, uh, check up on our content, our crew, and we take Patreon questions from Patreon, I guess. So, luckily I am not here alone today, I am joined by a bouquet of tech experts, and the man that has been kissed by a rose for sure, Alex Battaglia. Hey there. Uh, what a wonderful song, right? Right, it's one of my favorites. Not my favorite Batman movie though. <laughs> But the prettiest flower of them all, John Lindman is here, of course. Hey, Audie. Good to be here. How's it going? Pretty good. I know we have a very special show lined up today. With some, uh, <laughs> very special. With a, with a wonderful segment ready to go. Oh, it's ready. <laughs> but last but not least, the man that has brought us, personally brought us, the soil which we sprout from, it is Richard Ledbetter. Thank you very much for that um, <laughs> almost poetic uh, introduction there. I'm, I'm astonished. Oh, thank you. I'm trying my best not to get fired. I, I can see that. <laughs> so guys, we have a huge show today. There is actually quite a lot of news for us to discuss. So uh, let's just get straight into it. First of all, uh, let's take a look at the updated trailer for Final Fantasy VII Interlude. Interlude. which uh, includes new textures, lighting, and even a new chapter, I believe, with uh, a certain character. Uh, John, why don't you introduce us to this new trailer? Yeah, so they put out a trailer this week sort of showing in more detail some of the changes they're making for the PlayStation 5 version. Uh, and I think it's really interesting because, you know, we all watched it, and some of the changes are, are very obvious and nice, but a lot of them just appear to be more like artistic changes. Uh, you really get this feeling early on when they show this section when you're wandering through the slums and the position of the sun has changed. Mm. And it's like, okay, that's that's cool, but it's, you know, it doesn't seem like anything that couldn't have been done before. But, I mean, the main thing for me, and this we've only gotten a hint of this in the trailer, is that the texture work does seem to have been touched up significantly in spots. Uh, they show this sort of a ruined area that appears near the end of the game here which was notorious for its very, very low-resolution skybox on PS4. And it's much, much sharper looking on PS5. So that's nice. But we don't know the answer, Alex, if the the door <laughs> has been fixed. You know the door. <laughs> oh, the door. Yeah, that was... Uh... One of the best parts. I was pretty. It was pretty weird that uh, because back then I covered actually the PS4 Pro release and PS4 release of this yeah, game. I, as I little, was doing the uh, retro video on it, the retrospective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was a little out of place because I don't usually do uh, console exclusive content like that. Uh, but it was good fun. Uh, and that game was a, a strange one for me because I found like the cinematic aspects of the game, a lot of the character rendering, a number of the kind of early industrial environments of the linear sections of the game to be rather well uh, made and have really great texture work and effects work and things like that. But then as it kind of opened up, uh, you could see the seams in the package a little bit and specifically looking at like the textures or some of the NPC quality uh, for like the middle, like um, kind of more hub areas of the game as I would describe them. And that's when it got a little weird. And that's one thing that the trailer does not, in my opinion, it, it's cool that they're bringing out this update, but the trailer doesn't show off the like the main complaint points regarding those middle yeah. chapters just yet. Maybe it's in there, but it's something that's they're still- They're mostly just showing the areas that already looked amazing. So it's like, um, you know, 
you can definitely see a boost. There's more lights in some scenes. There's more like volumetric effects. Uh, the frame rate's obviously been bumped up to 60 frames per second, which looks excellent. Uh, that kind of stuff is really nice. Yeah, it's pretty weird actually to see some of the upgrades that they did put in. Uh, like you were just describing them as being artistic. Uh, the sun position in the one scene being different. Uh, the added in uh, kind of fog that they show that's kind of not yeah. there in the PlayStation 4 version. Uh, as I look at it, uh, just looking at an Unreal Engine, that's not something that the PS4 can't exactly do already anyway. It's just more like they changed the set dressing a little bit. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Which is, you know, all of that's completely fine, actually. I mean, it doesn't, this isn't a new game. They're just making tweaks and changes to it. And I, I'm sure a lot of it is artistic. As you know how it is when you create something and you look back on it, uh, a lot of times you'll be looking at the flaws that maybe other people didn't perceive as flaws will really stick out. You'll be making tweaks there as well. So potentially there's some of that going on. I mean, either way, it's interesting. I, I, I really liked this game. I was a big fan of it. I don't know if any... Did any of you actually finish it besides me? Uh, I did not. Um, not a huge Final Fantasy VII guy, but I did like the remake quite a bit. And uh, yeah, my main takeaway from this trailer was just that um, the new textures, a lot of them seem artistic in nature rather than just higher quality necessarily. But uh, certainly it does look nicer and you do have that new graphics mode and performance mode, which is pretty neat. So people get that choice. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have any opinions about the game as such. Um, I've never really been a big fan of Final Fantasy VII. I uh, don't really see what the big deal is, to be honest. Richard. Come at me, everyone. Now, now hey, the I, entire comment section is what... just going to be about that, Rich. <laughs> that's why I produced an, uh, you know, an entire hour-long video on this game, Rich. You watched it. Surely yeah. you can understand something about it. <laughs> the, yeah, the video was great. Oh. <laughs> um, but going back to going back to the Final Fantasy remake, I think what's kind of a bit weird from my perspective is uh, we had the demo come out, which looked incredible and was almost essentially flawless. And then you know you get the full game, and there are technical problems with it that I can't believe they shipped with. So if this is a chance to go back and sort that out, great. Um, but it would really be good if if it is a sort of technical limitation as opposed to a well actually no yeah a software limitation as opposed to a hardware limitation kind of think the ps4 owners should be getting a bit of love too to be honest uh, it's like yeah it definitely had some rough edges on ps4 but it's still probably one of the best looking rpgs that the system ever received mm-hmm. so you know it does have pretty obvious flaws and spots but it's still a very good looking game yeah for, I always thought a little bit back then that the kind of like map changing distance and the and this the like that door that we were talking about earlier that was a joke but it just seemed like a like an error almost because you could find that door texture otherwise in the game uh, looking fine so it felt like like the texture streamer settings were like a little too naive or a little too aggressive for even the PlayStation 4 Pro um, but who knows yeah. uh, but one thing I was a little surprised about this PlayStation 5 version. And we haven't really seen it too much, maybe a little bit on games like Observer um, getting its next-gen re-release, at least on PlayStation uh, 5. Um, But, you know, in Unreal Engine 4, uh, turning on ray tracing for next-gen apps, uh, if you have the right engine version, it's really just actually clicking like a button uh, as part of the export. 
uh, and then making sure you actually turn on like the console variable uh, to like put on ray trace reflections. And it does surprise me a little bit that they didn't, uh, they haven't shown off any ray tracing for this, uh, maybe for like a 30 FPS mode or something like that. Um, because it, w it probably would help the art in certain sections of the game. Maybe not like the lighting because a lot of it's baked already anyway, but you know, reflections would actually look pretty great in these industrial yeah. environments they have, you know. Exactly. In some of the hub areas that you visit, maybe not, but definitely in the industrial stuff, especially in like Shinra Tower late in the game, there's shiny stuff everywhere. Uh, and switching that over to ray trace reflections would look great, I think. So, but you know. It, it seems like that new chapter they're adding is kind of diverging the story quite a bit from the original too, though, John, right? I don't know how much uh, the original remake went out off base. I mean, this new chapter of Yuffie seems to be entirely new. Uh, I mean, they really lean more into this, like, conflict they had with Wutai in the past and the distrust mm. between them. So I, I assume it's going to kind of fit into that side of things. I could totally see how this would slide into the story kind of off to the side, you know, as something else happening during the initial section of this game. Because, you know, Yuffie is not accessible uh in the original game at this point in the game no you have to find her in like the forest like in yeah. the second disc is it or is it first i forget it's, it's definitely later in the game uh, yeah, yeah but um the original remake takes a lot of uh it expands on a lot of things and sometimes takes a few liberties and of course i you know i don't want to get into the ending here but you know no. i'm sure there has been talk of how it takes some strange turns uh very nomura kind of turn yeah, actually pretty much uh but you know i think i think it should fit in there i'm just curious to see how they're gonna do it if it's just like oh you choose from a menu and now you play this chapter or as if they find a different way to integrate it directly into the story so it doesn't feel like it's just kind of uh slapped in there i mean what i have a feeling it's a separate mode or like a separate chapter it might be so we'll see one one thing i always think about is the kind of the way um the, the, the Witcher 3 did it with just like sections of the map that you access differently. Um, you know, like Blood and Wine, or actually not Blood and Wine, it's not the best. You no, know, Blood and Wine is the best example. I was thinking of Heart of Stone, but just like a section of the map you go to that has all this new characters content in it. That's one thing I could imagine. Well, I mean, you know, if I, this, this remake isn't really, it was never open world, it was entirely chapter based and each chapter has its own kind of location that you visit. So it's pretty easy for them to jump around the city and just kind of go to different spots. So I'm sure they could pull that off. But we'll Do you think that see. will change with the uh, following episodes? Do you think they will integrate more open world scenarios or do you think uh, it will remain this way? I hope it doesn't become an open world game in the modern mm. sense. But um, I'll be curious to see what they do because, I mean, and I, I think this is why it's split is because that first the Midgar section was always so different from the rest of Final Fantasy yeah, VII exactly. to the point where it's kind of like, uh, I mean, it was basically an intro. Like they could have done a late title card on the original game, like six or seven hours in, mm. and it kind of would have worked, <laughs> but uh, not here, obviously. But they're going to have to figure out how to do the world map stuff, whether it's just like they keep the same scale as the rest of the game and it's a larger area to traverse. Uh, I'll be curious to see. I mean, I just hope the snowboarding sections will be good. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah. I, I mean, they already had a motorcycle section that was fine enough as is. And they, they used that a couple times and it worked pretty well. Better than the original. <laughs> For sure, gosh, yeah. I'm just having horrific flashbacks to the um, mini games that were added to Final, Final Fantasy 15 on Stadia. Oh, and uh, just <laughs> just just hoping for something a little better there in terms of exclusive content. Yeah, well, the, the Golden 5. Saucer stuff was always fun in Seven on PlayStation. I'm sure they'll do a good job. It's like basketball. There's the Mog House thing, mm -hmm. snowboarding. So they can't really screw that it's up. It's a little bit sad though that doing a game with the vastness of content that you see in those older rpgs isn't really feasible today anymore i know it's very sad i mean you have like stuff like octopath traveler and i think that uh, fantasian coming out from uh, i mean mistwalker looks kind of similar to classic jrpgs possibly i mean they look similar but they don't have that same breadth like you know yeah. just the you don't have the same teams uh, the size of the teams and the tools they're not the same anymore so it's hard to do it this way it's, it's tricky because final fantasy 7 was a triple a game at the time and if you apply oh, yeah. that triple a budget and team size to a modern game there's certain expectations of what it looks like and how it plays that makes doing the something the scale of the original final fantasy 7 kind of impossible i think yeah i mean the games the big games that are long and like classic jrpgs are only long by virtue of including tons and tons of repetitive content fetch quests yep. and stuff like that where you just you know grinding and it's like the world map in final fantasy 7 isn't really that big you don't spend that much time just running across it really so it's you know that's what makes open world games today kind of you know. all right well uh, i think we're all looking forward to seeing the end results of this remake re-release so uh, we'll probably get back to this as they show off more, but uh, I think we can move on to the next news item. Another <laughs> Switch Pro rumor. I think we're going to revisit this topic quite a few times until the actual machine does eventually show up, if it does. But Rich, what's the latest on the uh, Switch Pro uh, rumor mill? The latest is Bloomberg, who have pretty good sources, uh, very good sources for the most part, in fact, particularly when it comes to hardware manufacturing in Japan. Uh, they're still saying that we're looking at a um, brand new switch coming uh, 2021, and it's going to have a new SoC. It's going to be using NVIDIA DLSS, all of the stuff we've heard in the past. And um, they're kind of putting their official rubber stamp on it and... Um, for a journalist with any kind of reputation, that's kind of a big deal. You know, this, that's, that's kind of like the point of no return. Your reputation hangs on it. So to actually see this report is really interesting. And then there's uh, <laughs> the rumor mill kind of goes into overdrive here. So we've had one tweet, I believe, from uh, a noted leaker saying that it's using the latest NVIDIA architecture. And when I mean latest, I'm talking about the one beyond Ampere, the one that's beyond the GPUs of the here and now. Uh, yeah, the Lovelace architecture. And um, yeah, so everyone's kind of taken that and run with it, even though, um, well, I think we need to kind of, again, every time, every time without fail. I mean, I still remember when Wii U was going to come out with an ultra high-end Radeon and it came out with pretty much the lowest power radio you could fit in a console of that form factor. 
And um, yeah, let's. I, I just want to say, let's just keep expectations in check here because, you know, Nintendo's MO is they use tried and tested technology. The technology is usually, um, I won't say cheap, but inexpensive and can be easily mass produced. Easily mass produced, that's hugely important in the here and now when we're in the middle of this global semiconductor supply crisis. Mm. And... Um, all I can say is it's obvious that Nintendo will be developing a new Switch, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, the 2021 date, possible, but I think uh, hasn't the uh, appropriately named Doug Bowser already ruled out any new hardware in 2021? I don't know. That was, uh, that's quite a big statement to make. Maybe so. And, you know, I we've heard rumors as well. And I think 2021 was probably talked about at some point, but with the uh, situation worldwide, it does feel like less likely now to me. Like it, this feels like a 2022 project somehow. We'll see though. Well, this is the thing: the Switch is still selling really mm-hmm. well, and typically you you bring out your new product when you're at the kind of um, just past the peak of sales, and your sales are starting to go down. That's when you sort of bring out the dev kits, prepare for the next generation. Kind of feels a year too early for that. But at the same time, absolutely, they could be moving on to an evolutionary model for the Switch, full backwards compatibility, and you know, it just becomes an extra profile. The, the, the Pro model, the, the Switch 2, if you like, just becomes an extra profile. You've got handheld, you've got docks, and you've got Pro. That's, that's entirely conceivable. And... Um, I, I really feel like the, the whole rumors and thoughts around DLSS absolutely makes a ton of sense. DLSS is almost tailor-made for something like the Switch, uh, I feel. And it's both in Nintendo's interest and NVIDIA's interest to get that technology out there in the wider space. Because aside from the fact... So for Nintendo, obviously, it means you can achieve a superior image quality with a few technically fewer resources not that dlss is not free it requires a certain level of hardware functionality to achieve but it is i think cheaper than doing native resolution rendering so that's especially useful when you're dealing with a lower power device like this if they can make that work and then on nvidia's side you know this just further increases the potential integration of dlss into different engines and getting developers used to it which is great for the pc side as well so uh and I think we've all kind of agreed that this type of image uh, treatment and, you know, using something like like AI to achieve a higher quality image, if, if it's not the future, it's definitely one very important piece of the future, I think, because it doesn't make sense to throw all those pixels at the image if you can achieve something that looks the same or better uh, with fewer native pixels, if you will. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Also, just like less die space uh, being used up <clears throat> by, you know, um, power hungry SMs uh, pushing out pixels that could be done with smaller die space in tensor cores or something like that. Uh, that's think, another thing. Do you think, Alex, um, that maybe we're barking up the wrong tree here and maybe NVIDIA has a different type of DLSS uh, that they're working on that's possibly even more efficient. I mean, the rumors are also talking about a 720p screen, uh, which I don't have any problem with for a handheld. And then we're talking about the fact that this thing has got a dock 
with a 4K display. So we do have a precedent there in that DLSS Ultra Performance Mode uh, is taking 1440p and going to 8K. And the ratios there are pretty much precise when you're talking, precisely the same when you're talking about 720p to 4K. Could it work or do you think we need a new generation of DLSS? Uh, I mean, seven, I've, I've tried out ultra, ultra performance mode 720p to 4K, and it's definitely a, a pleasing image, I would say, uh, surprisingly pleasing. I'll just describe it like that. Surprisingly pleasing uh, <laughs> given the internal resolution there, but it's, it's not like 4K. It has the same issues uh, that I kind of saw in 1440p to 8K. Uh, in a lot of ways, um, but it was still good looking image. And see, Alex, I think the key thing there is that you're talking about in the PC context where users are usually closer to the screen, they're much less forgiving about image quality issues, uh, whereas on a Switch, I feel like they could definitely get away with that and it would look more than good enough, I think, given the platform. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And also, going back to Rich's, like, are we going to need a new kind of... DLSS. Uh, one thing I'm thinking about is the size of the device is pretty important uh, because there is, depending upon the size of the GPU, a certain amount of tensor cores on there uh, that make the DLSS runtime shorter or longer. And that's pretty important because if you're going to be upscaling games, it can't be something that's like, well, it could be, but you don't want to like spend 10 milliseconds uh, doing DLSS. It should be like around three to five at you know at worst. Uh, it's a lot cheaper on like Ampere and stuff. Um, so would it need a? Uh, I kind of almost feel like there's a there needs to be an even cheaper low power mode for for DLSS uh, for for something like a Nintendo Switch sized GPU. Uh, I do kind of feel like they would need another iteration of it or just like less weights uh, in the model things like that that make it cheaper. Maybe have slightly less. Uh, impressive visual quality, but we're already talking about a low-powered device anyway, where you're used to compromises. Maybe that's something that is actually what we're going to be end up seeing. Well, I think that's something that you're um, that you've sort of hit the nail on the head there, Alex, which is that um, tensor cores scale with the size of the GPU, and obviously any new switch is going to have have a very small GPU in relation to a desktop part. So yeah, while it may have tensor cores that isn't necessarily a slam dunk for the current implementation of DLSS. There may well need to be some additional efficiencies there. But I've got to admit, I'm really quite interested in seeing how 720p looks like scaled up to 4K with uh, DLSS ultra performance mode. Maybe that's something we should do a video on. Give it a try, it's, yeah, pretty, it's pretty fun. I, you know, it's not e that's, that's suggesting that all the games would just be 720p anyway. And I could still see them targeting slightly higher native resolutions if it's a more capable switch to begin with so they yeah, they may not be starting from 720p up to 4k it could it could be higher yep. it's going to vary per game one thing i'm curious about with the switch pro is um the cpu uh, setup because it's been a while since we've seen nvidia um innovate on arm uh with its packages like there like what would the soc exactly be on the cpu side uh that would be interesting because it's i it's obviously one of the weaker points of the switch uh, that a lot of devs have to contend with when they're porting down it's like uh scaling the graphics in a game is a lot easier than scaling what the gameplay and uh, environmental sizes and things like that that's all like cpu related stuff so i'm actually really curious what the cpu situation is going to be like in this theoretical switch pro i think we've got to move to eight cores 
um, because you know all of the mobile chips are basically based around that, the, the kind of master designs, and also to ensure that there is some kind of parity, some kind of um, analog to the current generation consoles of the moment. They do need to seriously up CPU performance compared to the first gen Switch. Um, and I do believe that the latest ARM um, iterations are actually really efficient. Question is, you know, of course, what is this chip actually going to be? Uh, because as we know, Nintendo doesn't always go for the best of the best. In fact, it rarely does. That's something we, again, I'll reiterate that. We need to keep that in mind. Well, I think we're going to come back to this uh, topic quite often as the weeks go by. But uh, I think it's time to move on to the next news item. Uh, there has been reports of uh, something quite sad, and that being that the PS3, PSP, and PS Vita storefronts are going to be closing down the coming months towards summer. Uh, this, uh, of course, sparks a lot of discussion around digital-only, uh, preservation of games, and such topics, which are very important to, I think, most of the panel here. And, uh, John, why don't we get right into this, the closure of these stores? What's your take on this? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess this is still technically a rumor, right? So nothing has not been confirmed, confirmed, but uh, I think it is uh, fairly certain. It seems fairly certain based on this, but uh, it's disappointing. I mean, this um, this is exactly the type of thing that I've been saying for years that I was concerned about, and it pretty much seems like this is what's going to happen. And I don't think this is good because it's just, so for, for one thing, I, so we don't actually know what this would entail. So my first thought is, okay, they'll shut down the store, but you still have access to your downloads. If you've purchased something for now, that's something that we really have to hope for, but we don't even know if that's going to happen. But this just means that a whole library of games could be, could be lost. They won't be, though, because thankfully, as always, uh, pirates have come to the rescue. I mean, it's it's really a shame that it, that game preservation has come to that, but that's just how it is. These big companies have shown time and again that they're not interested necessarily. There, there can always be something that happens where suddenly the interest is gone. Uh, Nintendo and Sony have definitely demonstrated this thus far. Um... And I don't know, it, it is it is concerning to me because there is a lot of great stuff on PS3 still and Vita and PSP and it's not all available on disc or cart. I think I'm in a little bit of a unique position on this panel because I think I'm the only one, at least in recent history, that has been producing and publishing games on these actual storefronts. And uh, it's especially concerning because the PS Vita is part of this takedown. And the PS Vita, I would still, you know, it's a platform that I published for, uh, produced for, and uh, it has still very much an active digital audience. And they're still, for me, you know, getting sales reports. I still see numbers on the Vita. And so now, uh, you know, it should be said that like a lot of the games, especially the ones that I work on, these would not survive the retail market. There would be no store shelves that would stock these. Uh, so they are quirky, weird Japanese indie games. Uh, but digital is, you know, a godsend in that regard because we can find an audience, we can provide this, and can have fans discover these games as well. But when they take down these storefronts, even if the servers are active, that's one thing. We don't even know. People might say, well, the servers will be active. 
there's no guarantee that Sony will keep those up for one year, two years, because there's no financial incentive to keep them up once the storefronts are gone. That's just an additional cost for them that they probably don't want to do. Because we've seen this with WiiWare already, that that's gone. There's no way to get those games anymore. So for me, it's just kind of like, well, these are several of my games now that people cannot buy, that they have been buying as recently as this month. Uh, so it's very distressing for me to see this kind of thing happen because I I understand, you know, there's not as much activity. They want to move on. They can't constantly keep support for these storefronts. But there really should be some sort of safeguard for these purchases because those servers will not stay up. I can guarantee that. Yeah, and this also brought up the other issue that was raised again this week that, again, relies on the uh, hacking community is the the battery situation on both PS3 and PS4. Yeah. Uh, and presumably PS5, where if the internal battery is dead and you change it, uh, essentially the system needs to re-authenticate with Sony's network in order to play the games again. On PS3, this is for digital games that you've purchased. If this battery d is replaced, dies... We actually got a preview of this that one time when the PSN went out. I think it was during that leap year. What you remember that, Rich? Right, the PSN outage. Yeah, it was. Uh, it it was uh, dubbed apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. With the <laughs> PS PS three at the end, uh, because uh, essentially um, the, every single launch model PlayStation three. I think it was the uh, the larger models. Uh, they they stopped functioning for twenty four hours. And, you know, nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew, you know, Sony didn't seem to have any kind of comment for us. People were dismantling their PS3s and um, there was talk of specific arm chips causing problems. And then a day later, everything was fine. But for that wonderfully kind of chaotic 24 hours, I'm saying it's wonderful as a journalist because it's just like, in terms of a story, it's gold. Everybody's console stopped working it's like uh you know the kind of conceit behind one of these uh post-apocalyptic um uh, tv shows on netflix <laughs> but kind of limited to the video games arena you just, you where, just pitched you know, a new show there rich yeah well you know i'm, I'm full of these ideas uh I, contact my agent i just want to say i <laughs> love seeing you salivate or other people's misery rich it's uh, a wonderful sight so <laughs> I mean, uh, talking about preservation again, um, it is, you know, I've been fortunate enough because I worked with companies like Limited Run who are able to put my games on a cartridge, a disc, and keep them, you know, preserved. But that's not the case for a lot of these games. And uh, there's been a lot of questions, by the way, of games that we would recommend people download, and we'll get to that uh, just to get that out of the way. Uh, but, uh, for example, games from Sony themselves that they didn't consider to be, you know, retail friendly or whatnot, those will disappear. And for people who are very staunchly in the digital space and just like, I only buy digital, I don't care. And the games are old, not old, so I'm not going to play it again. That's not really the issue here. The issue is that if it's one game, if it's 10 games, if it's 100 games that goes away, even if it's just one, that's lost. And that's yeah. art that's being lost. That's music that's being lost. That's a game that is lost. So it is still for video games, which is a young medium, to see things being lost this way already. Uh, it's pretty uh, awful. I mean, I come from an interest of Hong Kong action movies, and those were gone because they didn't. Yeah, those are all gone. Uh, the original prints, I mean. 
and still i mean i work a lot on those movies as well uh doing audio commentaries and stuff and i have to see the work they have to do to source like film prints in malaysia and stuff like this because nothing was preserved so it is important to preserve this stuff we know that's the true with true with a lot of game companies as well some preserve it but a lot don't and uh you really can't trust that they will so we really have to rely on the community around it to even preserve these games which they have mostly done thankfully but it's you don't want to have to resort to that kind of thing necessarily when your purchase should be like long term you should have legal access to these games uh and it's just and that's the thing is i see a lot of people they when when this topic comes up they get very defensive about mm-hmm. about this their companies that they love and really what what we're asking for here is good for everyone like we want access to remain possible we just, we, we, just, we, just we just want an option we just want the option digital and or some or sort of some sort of preserve some some way to preserve space. Space. as well yeah. you know just yeah. some way just to keep this stuff online stuff in a way that's uh that makes sense and it's just um I, I don't know. It, it is concerning know. It for is me, concerning I must admit. Me, I must admit. Uh, just to throw in one thing from, I have a very different perspective because I actually don't buy physical games. Get out. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> but I'm also digital only PC on a platform, or at least two or three platforms, uh, where I know, regardless of what happens uh, in the in the history of mankind, that PC as a platform can preserve these things through a variety of ways, whether it's piracy or something else. Or the fact that Valve has put out statements, because I do own a lot of Steam games, quite a lot of Steam games, um, that in, if Valve goes down as a company, they will provide means to digitally grab your game that you did buy on their service, um, regardless of what happens. Uh, that's kind of, they, it's like a philosophical statement that they put out there. That's something we haven't seen, uh, unfortunately, from anyone really in the console space. And I'm still, you know, this is, slightly tangential uh, topic, but the idea of of kind of registering your Xbox to turn it on, like the first time you turned it on, uh, uh, requiring an internet connection is something that I also find really troubling. And I really wish that wasn't a thing. And I I think we should push a little bit more against online activation uh, for consoles, uh, because it's it's just a horrible idea for the future. If I had to do that with my PCs, I I wouldn't, I would, I don't even know if I'd game anymore, honestly, but, (laughs) but yeah. Nobody should support that stuff. And I don't understand it. Like, don't support that stuff. It's okay to still love your consoles, but you got to call out these practices, I think. Uh, And it's, you know, with Evita, it's so recent that this isn't, you know, this is not even talking about games that are now like 15 years old and no one cares. That kind of talking point is out the window with this situation. Also, uh, this is, this kind of gets into why I'm not a fan of streaming. Because Alex, you bring up the point on the PC. Okay, you know these services go out. You you can get these files. People find ways to obtain these files, even on consoles with digital downloads. You know, mm-hmm. people are breaking this stuff all the time. They're getting those original files. There's ways to preserve it. With streaming, that's suddenly not really a thing. If you had a game that's exclusive to a streaming service and no normal person has access to these files, the only hope is that somebody internally would actually save it, which may or may not even happen, and it may become completely inaccessible to the public anyway. So I feel like streaming is genuinely a threat to game preservation. 
as an exclusive platform, as an option, like something like xCloud, that's totally fine. But something like yeah, Stadia... Or, I think this whole conversation that we are having always concerns options, right? Yeah. And as I mentioned, like, I can tell you so many stories. When I was working in Japan with the PC98 community, we were trying to uncover all these games that had been, you know, lost, and then generally those source files were gone. We have to find, like, diskettes with potentially a build on it full maybe not and then recent discs might be bad it happened a lot let me just tell you and most of these people you know their their thoughts when i came in the door and asked for like hey i want to re-release this game it's like why it's you know why would i keep that stuff i need that space for new games and we saw it recently too with uh, samurai showdown there was the uh, samurai showdown uh, collection recently where there was a game that had been reported to be test uh, tested on a test location it did exist. No one knew where it was. And then they found a hard drive with the actual build on it. So they could preserve that. Uh, speaking of preserving, I mean, Rich, you're getting up there in age and we need to preserve you soon. But do you have any thoughts <laughs> on uh, on this situation? Um, <laughs> so I was just saving Alex's remorse, like yelping. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do I have any thoughts on it? Um, well, you know, the WiiWare situation is quite troubling, isn't it? Yeah. And it basically relies on uh, hackers to to basically rip the Nintendo store uh, to keep all of this stuff alive, right? Uh, for the record, I do think that the storefront access will be... Uh, is likely to go. I mean, I know people who've released vita games and you know you can as you say uh, order you can track it and the sales are like microscopic so it wouldn't be surprising if sony did actually shutter those storefronts uh, at the same time i think they'd be probably facing immense legal action if all of those purchases just suddenly stopped working mm-hmm. uh, people seem to love suing sony for some reason you know Killzone isn't native 1080p take them to the court Oh, that's uh, so yeah, dumb. I can see that. <laughs> but you know, this would actually be something a bit more uh, worthwhile as a, as a legal endeavor. But I can't see it coming to that. And I, I did read on the internet. I don't know whether this is true or not. That Sony has actually been updating the PlayStation Three firmware with the latest decryption keys for the Blu-ray player, mm-hmm. uh, which would suggest that you know they are aware that a device has certain levels of functionality that need to be maintained. So, um, uh, yeah, a kind of sobering reply there. No, not quite in line with the walrus-like <laughs> yelping that, well, that Alex might I mean, about the servers, because I think a lot of comments will be that, like, well, you can still download the games. Don't worry, little man. But once those storefronts are down, that says it present that they will be gone soon enough because there is no financial incentive to keep them up. And when those storefronts are not active, that when the games are not being released in stores anymore for this console, it's discontinued production, then they will take those take down those servers it, sooner than later. And it's really important to know that we're off we're talking about a long period of time here in many cases. Like yes. you know, 20, 30, 40 years. I still think it, even even after that point, I think it is important that those games are preserved. We're still playing uh, NES games, stuff from like the mid eighties. We'll, I can guarantee you, we'll probably still be producing VF Retro in thirty years at the senior <laughs> Hopefully. center. Yes. <laughs> so be It'll sure be a to true check back, back on in Digital my Foundry in thirty years. We'll still be here, even rich. 
So <laughs> I'll be about, I'll be sort of like the, uh, in a rain in a jar. Yeah, <laughs> I'll keep it. I'll keep it in my keepsake. It's like uh, I have gimmick on Famicom, and I have rich, uh, rich uh, preserved in a jar. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I I think we said enough about this. But uh, short uh, at the end here, though, uh, we got a lot of questions uh, regarding what games would we suggest to download now that these storefronts are going. Uh, John, let's just jump into that and answer that now because uh, I think there was uh, there was at least like five or six questions regarding this i mean th- this is something that i really have to stop and think more about but you know mm. stuff like uh, uh definitely bionic commander rearmed the first yeah. one you know lost in the rain is really good tokyo jungle i mean some of these games did have physical releases but in asia either, and stuff yeah. usually just in asia and mm. some sometimes they're expensive <laughs> uh, as well uh things like that you know and there's um man i really have to go th- go through my list even stuff like, uh, you know, there was like Afterburner Climax, Daytona USA, the, the 1080p remake, which is still, per- I think, can you even purchase? I know it's available on Xbox with backwards compatibility, but I'm not sure if it's for sale. I think but, it's still up, isn't it? You I mean, hope so. Yeah. But um, this is actually something I'd like to, to revisit soon and maybe like go through in more detail because I need to, I'm going to fire up my PS3 and assemble a list of great games that I, I've played, I, but maybe some people have missed, and this might be the last chance to easily access them. It would be a, maybe a bit of conflict of interest of uh, me suggesting games, because I worked on some of them, so I'll just save that. But I will say, of course, uh, I think it's still available, but uh, Chowaniki Zero on PSP was oh, only yeah. released digitally in the West, and that's a great little shooter, which you should check out. Um, but yeah, Some, the games you know, that John mentioned, of an, course. Another important thing is that the PS3 and Vita, I guess PSP as well, they provided easy access to affordable PS1 games, uh, including true, yes. some games that were that are extremely rare and expensive now. And yes, uh, you can absolutely just download and you know use an emulator on your PC as well. But uh, it was nice to have the sort of be able to to purchase them this way, especially for use on something like the Vita. So. Hmm. Um, well, when you purchase them, you also support the original creator, which is important, especially in Japan these days, where yeah. you know companies are small and the uh, fortunes have shrunk. So, uh, you know, Adventures of Little Ralph on PlayStation One, for example, that's a thousand dollar game that you could purchase for what twenty bucks. Yeah, on or PSN. Harmful Park as well, stuff like that. Harmful Park. Yeah, yeah which uh, I don't think either of us own. So I do not have a copy of Harmful Park. <laughs> no, uh, that would which be is, nice. Uh, very expensive. <laughs> So, yeah, and I mean, these uh, prices, by the way, for those, you know, good thing that you mentioned PS1, because those prices are rising quickly. So this was an excellent Mm -hmm. way of being able to play them affordably on a good device. And so are stuff like uh, Vita games on cart, because that system launched as a digital platform originally. Mm -hmm. uh, A lot of those games, maybe there's not that many copies of the physical versions out there. So uh, those prices are going to start to go up as well, and they already have. They already um, have. I mean, so. I've put out quite a few Vita games, and they're all, you know, quite up there in price now. So, uh, I mean, luckily we do have companies like Limited Run and Strictly Limited putting out physical still, and that they are working. I know a lot of comments towards them this week have been pretty mean because people are like, "Oh, well, you're creating artificial scarcity," and uh, I mean, this they've been 
as someone that has worked with these companies, they're continuously working to making sure these games are available at longer times, so not yeah. open pre-orders See, and things like that. I think that's the key right there is the open pre-orders. In the early mm-hmm. days, they were extremely limited, as the name suggests. But these days, that's not really the because case. Because they can only be. Exactly. I mean, at the time, uh, the manufacturers didn't allow for anything else. Exactly. So now that it's a proven model, most games yeah. today are put out for open pre-orders on there. Uh, so anybody, you know, you have like a month to basically decide if you want to pick it up. So it still has a limited element if you miss it the first time, but it is, it's not that race to to click buy it before uh, they're out of stock. That does not really happen much anymore. No. Well, gentlemen, this has been a rare opportunity for me to actually know what I'm talking about and not just nod and pretend like I know. So, uh, but we have to move on and uh, we'll probably... Uh, I think, John, what we should do as this kind of goes into retro, maybe we should record a little session on the Patreon for DF Retro regarding some of these PS3 and PSP games that we want people to download. That would be a good idea. So, yeah, so go check out the Patreon. It is going to get a pretty big revamp with lots of retro stuff pretty soon. All right, so a last news item for today, and it kind of goes into what we just talked about. So I could have just segued, but uh, Mario 3D All-Stars is being discontinued, at least for now. Uh, I have seen some suggestions that this might not be as dire of a situation as it originally was. But at least for now, Mario 3D All-Stars is being discontinued. And again, this is a kind of weird one because it's Nintendo, it's Mario, you wouldn't think that it needs a limited shelf life it's really weird but uh yeah this uh, has been a practice of theirs because now also at the same time mario 35th or 35 whatever it's called a digital game where you can play mario against other people the original uh i think this is also being discontinued in march that's so a that's a digital game which makes really yeah. no sense that one's actually uh, the bigger problem because i think mario 3d all-stars sold extremely well and Maybe yeah, this is all like part that. of their diabolical plan to move copies because I think it sold a lot of physical copies. It, so yes. I don't think this game is going to disappear anytime soon, uh, even if it's not new copies aren't sent out. But Mario 35, that's a, that's disappointing. Yeah, I really don't get the idea of limiting a digital game. I understand that it's a uh, kind of celebration of the 35th anniversary and this not and whatnot but again it's a fun game that people are playing actively why would you limit their time having fun this seems really counterproductive to me um, no uh, N- nintendo has i don't think they've come to the on it other than it being like part of the anniversary so it's just kind of during the anniversary this is being made available but i mean it's not really an excuse or reason it's weird. I mean, it's just like, taking this no off, sense whatsoever. removing this from even like the digital store, like people will continue to buy this for years if they left it on there. So it's, it's a fine compilation. It's I mean, very strange. Really no reason. Yeah. And uh, I, I find this strange overall for these bigger uh, publishers and manufacturers to do this because we also saw this with um, Collection of Mana. And that was even using the word limited run. And I, mm. I think our friends there weren't too happy about this, but that's still very much available in the stores. I see it all the time when I go to the electronics boutique Oh yeah, in my area. I see a copy of it. So it can't have been that limited, no. really. Uh, but it's kind of strange for these companies to have enough resources and certainly enough incentive to keep these games stocked. As you say, they will continue to sell especially in the case of Mario 3D All-Stars. 
Uh, this would sell for years. It's an evergreen title. Yeah, it's weird. I think the stuff that's actually tends to be more limited is stuff that isn't labeled as being limited, like NIS right. stuff and all that. You know, they put out whatever, however many runs they think they can sell, and then that's usually it. And there's, it's not always often huge, so... No, I mean, uh, I remember early in the Switch's life, like, I Am Setsuna, that, like, uh, physical run was pretty expensive. Oh, yeah. I think I think they put out more, so it's not that bad anymore. But that was, like, one of the earliest examples I remember of a game becoming expensive on the Switch. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do still think, though, that once this is discontinued, uh, the prices will probably skyrocket on, like, eBay and stuff. Because Nintendo... We'll Nintendo stuff is always up-priced oh, by scalpers. That's that's something I've learned very well, and you as well, over many, many years of collecting games, is that Nintendo mm. stuff never really goes to the bargain bin. It's like it goes very slightly seldom. down below the original MSRP, and then it eventually starts climbing again. Like uh, Urban Champion is cheap, nope. but that's pretty much where you're at. <laughs> Nobody likes that, um, so... No, except Nintendo. They keep re-releasing they it. it. They love it. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, but as I mentioned, I've actually seen some mentions on Twitter that um, Amazon stuff is saying that there will be new stock coming. So it might not even be discontinued for more than a few weeks, for all I understand. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens to this game. Alex is relieved. Yeah, I, I know so much about this game. You know, <laughs> you know Super Mario, right? Ah, I've heard of them. It's really yeah. heard of them. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a PC port of uh, it's Mario Mario 3. 64. It's 64 by id Software. Yeah. I mean, I learned typing thanks to Mario. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, any other thoughts there, Rich? Um, it's obviously a marketing t- uh, sort of trick, really. Something uh, that would be swiftly reversed in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> Because I can't just see a company turning their back on revenue. It just makes no sense whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, I, I fully expect it will be available. Uh, possibly even they'll add a new game to it or something. It wouldn't surprise me just to double dip uh, on the fans. Galaxy 2 in there. I don't think, yeah. uh, I honestly don't think they're going to add any games to this compilation. Nah, like, I've seen not. people mention that Galaxy 2 will be digitally added and what I don't not. think so. Nintendo just. No, you'd make more money by <laughs> re-releasing it, it on like Switch Pro or something with Galaxy Two. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Uh, we'll see uh, if we'll it gets discontinued. But, uh, but for now, uh, for now uh, pick, uh, up, pick the up the game, the game while you have a while chance. chance think, today, today, as of as this recording, of this recording uh, is the last is day. The last so day. So you're too late. So we're going to do a very small edition of the Retro Corner. This is my me and John just having a little bit of fun. And also Alex today, actually. But uh, uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, if you join our Patreon, you'll be seeing a lot more Retro Corners there because we are going to be moving our retro content over to the Patreon. And we'll have much more detail on this in the coming weeks. Uh, But uh, let's just go into something that I know Alex has been really wanting to talk about for a couple of weeks, and that is your retro gaming setup. And uh, you've been doing some Sound Blaster Live stuff recently, haven't you? Yeah, so basically um, getting into an older, you know, John has a lot of experience in this, uh, just getting a retro PC, setting it up. Uh, There's such a variety of hardware implementations for the available software to take advantage of 
that you can run in really quickly into um, just kind of like bad sound or even bad visuals in a game due to oh my gosh you have like the wrong chipset or you have the wrong uh, sound blaster card they produced so many different kind of uh, uh, sound cards back in the day integrated and separate mm -hmm. through PCI or ISA that you don't really know what you're getting into all the time uh, with game compatibility and I ran into one of those with the integrated I think it was the name of the, the company is like Esquinox or Esquinex. I, I forget the name of it, but Creative bought them out at some point. Um, they used to make PCI cards. Wait, wait, are you talking about Insonic? Insonic, that's the one. I couldn't remember the name of it. My brain. Uh, sorry. It's like, I don't know. I, I just, you know, words. I, I can't, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, that was having trouble just playing like the basic kind of like sound blaster stuff from any games, like really garbled sound. Uh, I'll send a video of, to audio uh, to edit it in here, what, sound, what that sounds like. But uh, tried out some other uh, Sound Blaster. Audigy was also not giving me the best results. So I went out and grabbed a Sound Blaster Live 5.1 with like the Live 2 Nomad setup that goes into your PC and goes out the front. And you can uh, kind of attach like a MIDI device to it and all these other really cool things that were pretty rare for the time period. And the, uh, the sound quality difference is amazing. It's, I, it's been a long time since I've heard actual hardware accelerated sound and it's awesome That's cool. That's cool. uh I, I i'm just i'm just loving it i've been trying out new games recently uh but you can still see that uh this time period uh, even when you have like the, like a really great sound setup like the sound blaster live is pretty awesome for what i'm looking to do playing these games from like 1996 let's say in the windows environment to early 2000. Uh, it's pretty great at that, but you know, I was posted a video on Twitter about it. But like, just the slightest difference in like a patch can mess one of these uh, like earlier sound implementations up. And you know, I was getting like crazy Doppler effects in Unreal uh, that sounded hilarious, which are definitely not intended. Um, So it's just like a fun little period. And there's other things I'm doing in the background too. I, I do have a, a Pentium 133 megahertz just sitting right here on the floor next to me that I'm going to put install um, Windows 95 on it very soon and see what I can do there as well. But I'm just going further into this uh, terrain here of older PCs. Fast, Once you start down this path, it's like it gets addictive. And, so, and then you eventually end up with a drawer full of graphics cards and... <laughs> or a house full in your case yes even uh i think alex you also joined me with the purchase of the roland sound canvas yeah i do have that too <laughs> i i bought one of those too all right everybody except for rich yeah where's your sound well, canvas well, man <laughs> well you're just gonna rock is... that general media aren't you 
I'm not going to entertain, entertain this stuff. stuff. I look to the future. One funny thing so about funny. that Roland Sound canvas, though, is I have the Mark One implementation. John has a Mark Two, I think, right? John, yeah. you have Mark Two. Yeah, but uh, the one I grabbed was not obviously used for PC stuff. It was used by like a band in Brandenburg, and it smells like cigarettes. It's 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 brutal. Owned by Kraftwerk. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a direct Kraftwerk original. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, that's kind of funny thing with also older PC stuff is just the the condition you can find them in sometimes too. They're so yellowed usually. I've noticed a lot of a lot of yellowing and uh, scuff marks words written onto cases that I don't understand why they're there with the 95 PC. There's just, it, it's great. I ended up just putting my, my main Pentium 3 system in a modern case last year, just, just for ease of working on it, even though it doesn't look vintage, really. Hmm. It's, um, it, it, we could do like uh, Clint from uh, Lazy Game Reviews. He put like, uh, you know, wooden uh, tape, tapestry on it. So good. The wood grain, yeah. Wood grain. The real thing is that the modern thing cases, thing is that the actual cases, like aluminum like used to form the case is a lot uh, more friendly for the hands. Or if you go back mm -hmm. to like twenty or thirty years, some of that stuff, uh, it's like you just cut yourself on like yeah. yeah. And whenever you guys talk about all these parts and stuff, I just thank God I had an Amiga. The Amiga just worked and it sounded wonderful. Only Amiga. Oh, it makes it possible. Yeah, I had an Amiga as well, Commodore sixty four. This is. Uh, and the spectrum for gaming <laughs> uh well yeah i had the spectrum um and i guess technically it's proper retro gaming I, i've uh, seen you rock a spectrum at like ejx playing i think it was jet said willy no i think it was manic minor manic actually. minor that's uh, right oh yeah yeah where you know the old muscle memory was still there <laughs> uh but you know the thing is it's all associated with childhood and when you're in those years and there's something better that comes along there's just no mercy so you know commodore 64 you know iridium powered void all of that stuff mm. that kind of that was just kind of like game over for the spectrum at that point mega came along obviously foregone conclusion but then again when i went my first job interview and i saw the mega drive i just instantly lost all interest in the Amiga. It's like, okay, this is just See, fundamentally I, I grew better. up with Commodore and Amiga, and when I saw the Mega Drive, I wanted Amiga games on the Mega Drive. Hmm. Right, yeah, which did kind of happen. It did happen. We'll yeah. actually have an example yeah. of that pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, uh, cool, pretty cool stuff. I'm pretty happy you keep us up to date on your uh, adventures there, Alex. Uh, what's next for your retro computer then? Um, I guess uh, hooking up the MIDI system, mm -hmm. and other than that, um, we got to get them working together. The we have to connect our Pentium threes. <clears throat> got to oh, have so a right, yeah, yeah. The network environment. Uh, I do have a working network environment already, but it's a matter of just figuring out what games we can actually connect with. Because a lot of older games didn't have the expectation that people would be throwing like Ethernet cables and connecting through modern internet. We, yeah, uh, we stuff. So you know what we got to do? We got to like get our pajamas connect our PCs together in the LAN, drink balls all night, and listen to techno. <laughs> Play some Red Alert. I've, I've done this, and also... you, you got like, uh, to get uh, Rich to join us, though. Yeah, I'd be uh, sort of in a sling connected to the ceiling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 in a cage. Yeah. yeah. In a cage, yeah. Uh, duct tape. Duct tape Patreon exclusive. Oh, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I'm so happy you hired me to ruin this channel. <laughs> well, you're doing a good job so far. Yes, thank you. I'm trying my best. <laughs> so, on to the uh, last part of the Retro Corner. And again, uh, we will actually be doing a segment on this this week uh, regarding our pickups. We will be doing retro pickups for now, me and John. And uh, I guess, Alex, if you pick up some PC retro stuff, uh, you're going to join us, it, of yeah. course. The Rich is never yeah. going to be invited. But Actually, well, you say that because oh, we'll uh, you know, lost, lost to the mist of times is uh, my my retro throwaways. Oh, where mm. basically I've gone into the attic and thrown away retro stuff, which John has hoovered up, <laughs> yes. has oh, vacuumed it's it good. up. Why yeah, would you exactly. throw that so this is well because John has it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's 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 my way of giving back to the retro community. See, I, I show up in England with a uh, with a very empty suitcase, and I walk away barely able to get it through security. Yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar. I mean, you, with you, had, this. <laughs> you had my uh, my launch Japanese N64 there, John, with it. the fully working controller. That, yes, actually, that was the best thing. Is and that's a, that's a rare find these days is to have a pristine N64 analog stick, because most of them have been ground down from Mario Party and the like. That sounds like you didn't play your N64 much, Rich. Um, well, yeah, that's, you were that's, doing that is a, an. A, that is an accurate summary. You were the, the editor in chief of the um, Sega Saturn magazine, so I feel like that would have been a betrayal if you played N64. Well, here's the thing: this was um, the company I was working for. We had three Nintendo 64s that were delivered to the office, and obviously everybody wanted them. And um, we just had uh, a lottery, and I got one of the three systems. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I just had an extended holiday and played uh, Mario 64. Beyond that, I don't really recall doing much on the Nintendo 64. So, um, yeah, that's that's why your controller there is in pristine quality. I think you mentioned so, that you were into, you know, like, the Star Wars games, though, weren't you? Like uh, Rogue um, Squadron? Well, I admired them from afar. I didn't oh, okay. uh, play them. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, at least you, uh, you could have done the slide on Games Master, I guess. Uh, and not falling yeah. off like Dave Perry. <laughs> <laughs> we should, uh, yeah, we need to talk about Games Master one day. Someday. But, uh, uh, John, uh, why don't we give a little bit of a preview of the games we will be talking about this week on the Retro Pickups? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I've had a lot of arrivals, but I picked three just to kind of hold up that are interesting. We won't go into mm -hmm. too much detail. I finally got a copy yep. of uh, Cosmic Smash for Dreamcast, oh, nice. which I've been... Kind of wanting for a while it's a really cool game um also picked up uh boku no natsuyasumi 2 for playstation oh, 2 yes. so these are beautiful games we'll have to get some footage nice of that music on that one yeah, yeah, yeah and then lastly because i just played all the way through ease 4 the dawn of ease on pc engine i was back into getting old other ease games versions i didn't have so i picked up the uh japanese mega drive version of mm -hmm. ease 3 wonders from ease which uh this is probably the best version of that game since some of the other versions especially on pc engine has great music but uh other issues yeah yeah the games i'll be talking about uh, some of them at least uh one actually a dreamcast game as well but uh kind of a cheat because i got the uh if you can see it here zeno cider which is that new oh. 3d game on dreamcast which runs at 60 frames per second has like this uh, space harrier type uh, gameplay. You and, check it uh, out. The special edition comes with the soundtrack, so I was curious. 
So we'll be talking mm -hmm. about that. I will be uh, getting some footage of that. Another one here that uh, is very up my alley, but uh, I think John is going to roll his eyes. I got this weird uh, Taiwanese Famicom game that just came out oh, called Hungry Ghost Night. Yes. These things keep uh, showing like, up in my house. Yes, uh, I, I shipped this one to my place uh, because I want to show it off. But uh, it is kind of like a gauntlet-style game. It was produced in Taiwan uh, this year, so oh, it's brand wow. new. Cool. Uh, and uh, it's a company I tried to support just because I like supporting the homebrew community on the Famicom. And then last but not least, we were talking about Amiga to Mega Drive. I got the Japanese version of James Bond 2 on the Mega Drive. Uh, and at John's place, I actually have the Super Famicom version of this game. Yeah, why are but, you suddenly uh, buying up James Bond? <laughs> you have uh, something in, the, in, in mind for the future? I have something in mind for the future. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, oh. Don't tell Rich. So, you, well, I don't mind about uh, James Pond whatsoever, mm. but for John, it seems to be like, you know, verboten. <laughs> it's a topic that just mustn't be discussed. I don't quite get it. I mean, it's funny. You know, bearing in it's mind some of the nonsense you guys talk about, you know. No, I, I, I actually think James Pond is fine. It's just I make fun of the uh, the background work in those games. A lot of those, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 where it's just like biscuits, random yeah. fruit and like objects just floating tiled across the background with a gradient behind it. I never understood why they did that. I think because of the rendering techniques on the Amiga, I think it was just easy to tile stuff on that uh, system. And then somebody was like, that won't fly, and they made Mr. Nuts, which yeah. uh, doesn't have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is interesting also because it comes in that uh, extra thick Mega Drive case, by the way, that oh, Road yeah. Crash 2 and all the Electronic Arts games in Japan came well, in this yeah. thick case. So, uh, and yeah, as I mentioned, I have the Super Famicom version at John's Place waiting. So we'll see what we'll end up doing with these games. So we'll be showing those off and talking about other pickups uh, this week on the Patreon channel. So go sign up and uh, check out what we have in store for you there. All right, gentlemen, uh, let's talk a little bit about the content of this week uh, on Digital Foundry. Uh, first of all, uh, content on the patreon again uh john i think you took part in the patreon exclusive uh, game tournament uh why don't yeah. you just quickly talk about this so just real quick you know so mm -hmm. we kind of set up this thing and will helped kick it off with uh where we just invited patrons from our discord to come on over and play some unreal tournament the 1999 version of unreal tournament and it was fun and we all jumped online and we had had a server going and just kind of People jumping in and out. We had the live chat going in Patriot or in Discord, and mm -hmm. it was great getting back into some Unreal Tournament. The game's still a lot of fun, uh, especially now I played at 160 frames per second, which my old Voodoo Three back in the day could not do. Uh, <laughs> so, did that give you an advantage? Well, other people were also playing on high frame rate monitors, but oh, okay. uh, I did okay. I kind of you know fell in the upper middle of the pack usually. But uh, our very own Will Judd, uh, Counter-Struck player, he did very well. So he was he was holding it up pretty well there. But yeah, it was... The uh, newly freed Will Judd. Yes, exactly. He was freed. Uh, yeah, it was great to see stuff like Facing Worlds again and, you know, running around with the sniper rifle zoomed in and headshotting people. That's uh, that's always a good time. Uh, <laughs> it's chaos. It's... It's a wild game. So yeah, we're going to try to do more of this stuff in the future, I think, with some other... Try to revive some other classic games. One that I really want to see is some Tribes, Tribes 2, something like that. Uh, we'll see what happens, though. 
And just uh, as I blink the sellouts uh, moniker on screen, uh, we are mentioning the Patreon a lot these days because we are revamping it all. We're putting up uh, early exclusives. We're putting up daily posts basically at this point with uh, production notes and uh, other fun stuff. So that's why we have all these uh, news items on the Patreon. So if you're yeah. not there yet, go check it out. And we will have some new tiers very, very soon. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm kind of uh, excited about is the fact that we have a content meeting every Monday at nine in the morning. And basically the bullet points of that meeting will go up on Patreon and you'll find out what we're doing through in the, throughout the week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, put up some comments and we can talk about it in this section of the show. You know, uh, get your name out there on the, on the show. Talk about uh, what you're interested in, in terms of what we're doing. We really want to... Uh, increase the level of interaction there exactly so, yeah, go for plus it. there's yeah that we, we can provide some extra insight into like why certain games are getting covered and why other ones might not because there's so many different games out there so hopefully that will help uh let people kind of understand the, the process behind and also choose. you get uh, access to our discord which uh, is very active and uh, mm -hmm. a lot of fun it's we fun. have a df retro channel we have you know of course the digital foundry general channel and uh, yeah, there is a lot of uh, memes happening right now regarding Rich. So, <laughs> oh boy, just and Alex, and yeah. Alex. So just join oh. in on the fun. Uh, we are all in there every day. So it is uh, Patreon is for us now very much a communication tool, and we love the amount of activity we have been able to get with our fans there. So uh, it's a lot of fun for us uh, specifically to be there and talk to all mm -hmm. of you. So uh, join up. Uh, I think one of the cooler videos this week, though, is uh, Bloodborne. Uh, John and Rich, you were working on this extensively. So uh, do you want to share some more notes on that? Rich? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's quite funny, really, that uh, speaking of the, of the Discord and the Patreon, I mean, essentially what we've done is to take Bloodborne, run Lance McDonald's 60 frames per second patch at 1080p on a PlayStation 5, um, and then we added AI upscaling to it. So although I wasn't really talking about the project in specific terms, I was sharing some of the AI upscaled image uh, on the Discord like weeks ago, you know, just sort of trying to get some level of feedback. Unfortunately, Discord <laughs> downraised the images. Oh, I know. Which, uh, <laughs> that, was, that was really useful when you were talking about AI upscaling. <laughs> but regardless, uh, yeah, this has been a project that's been... I'd say weeks, possibly even months in the making, because the only way you're going to show Bloodborne at 4K60 is, first of all, to get Lance McDonald's patch working on PlayStation 5 development hardware, which we don't have. And then secondly, it's to take that footage and then use AI upscaling. And that turned out to be a massive project because... Um, uh, the AI upscaling models are simply not trained around mm -hmm. game footage. So we had to kind of find the best possible fit for that. So it's just been a really interesting project all around. And um, it's just sort of thing that we can kind of, again, only really do because we've got this sort of uh, uh, extra resource from um, our Patreon supporters to be able to invest the time in, into doing this wacky, crazy stuff that nobody else is capable of doing it is fun or would have the time to do yeah, yeah. or the resources to do so yeah this has been this has been fun and it's just been great because um uh the whole ai upscaling thing as i said in the video it's it's so time consuming 
and um, you know we it was like 24 hours of processing on an RTX 3090 to get a relatively small amount of footage but when you get your final export when you run it on your 4k screen you think yeah job well done this is looking really good you you get excited about the content you really want to you know, you're enthused about it. You want to share it with everyone. So, at the, you know, as we sort of speak, we haven't released that video yet, but I'm going to be really interested to see what the response is. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people saying, ah, oh, this is, you, you can't play it. It's worthless. But at also the same it looks time. Pretty, it's, it's pretty interesting, the AI upscaling method we went with. We kind of focused on trying to clean up some of the shimmering. Uh, and so it, it perceptually, it looks different. But it's it's just neat yep. to see. I think just as just as an exercise. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was that was a lot of fun there, and um, it's kind of projects where you know we can do more of this in the mm-hmm. future. I mean, this AI upscaling, you can go to eight K. You know, why don't we take some Last of Us two footage, see how that looks at eight K, or rather how it would look at eight K downscaled back to four K because it's a native fourteen forty p. So. Yeah, lots of sort of weird experiments. I mean, you know, we can just run these um, uh, AI models during the night, so it doesn't really impede our workflow as such. Mm. So yeah, really excited into into looking at this. And I honestly think maybe we'll be seeing some kind of uh, variant of this work in video games. I mean, we're already seeing it with DLSS, but there's going to be other techniques. You know, there's going to be other implementations. There's going to be, I suspect, you know, uh, at some point in the future, system level filters for AI upscaling, which don't have the temporal inf- information that DLSS has, but the model is good enough that it still holds up and, you know, those models will be activated. This is, talk- I mean, we're talking about way, way, way in the future because, you know, the Bloodborne footage was uh, up- uh, upscaling one frame every half a second, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not playable. No. But yeah, really interesting stuff. And, um, Interested to see where that sort of research goes. Uh, John, you also did the Monster Hunter Rise video. Any further details you want to share on that video? or? Yeah, I was thinking of... Uh, might trial out some multiplayer with that game mm. uh, next week and maybe get a little bit of measurement from it and might talk about it on the show next week just to see how it, how it fares, you know, spending some time in multiplayer as well because I missed out on the chance to, to do multiplayer, I guess, during the review phase so yeah play online i like the names you had given your characters by the way oh thanks that was uh that was a good that was good fun (laughs) you see i'm I'm living in all of your heads oh red free i know (laughs) all day let me just say all night all day and all night so uh alex i know uh, you also put out another avantures video didn't you Yeah. Uh, any uh, other further details you want to talk about that, or do you think uh, things have been all. said enough now? I mean, the video is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. I guess the one thing is uh, people just, you know, it, it contains cross console comparison, so there's always a little bit of uh, ire from certain aspects of the audience regarding that. Uh, for me, in the end, uh, you're just looking at two different versions of games on um, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, where the developer, for very you know certain reasons known to them, decided to go for two different resolution implementations. And you know, there's reasons for that, and you just kind of live with it. You know, uh, I wouldn't feel too bad if I had a PlayStation 5 version of that game, uh-huh. though, at all. I think it's just an interesting discussion to talk about. Uh, 
how the end result uh, for resolution that you count is not always indicative of the actual visual uh, quality that you're getting. And that's important when we start talking about reconstruction. Uh, I was asked on another channel, actually on Beyond 3D, about why I was acting purposefully so perplexed that this is the case. Um, and it's completely didactic. Um, it's because in the future, I kind of want to get away in my own content from just talking about pixel counts mm, because it's a little bit arbitrary at times uh, where where you choose to pixel count and whether or not you capture the lowest of the lows and all these other things. Uh, and it's uh, just in general, if you think about it, like if you have a checkerboarded image, 4K checkerboarded, and you put it next to an 1800p you know, internal resolution image that's just naively upscaled to 4K versus a DLSS internally 1080p image upscaled to 4K. You have an internal resolution that is very different on each one and how it's made, but the quality of each of these images subjectively could actually be counterintuitive to their internal resolution. Also, so that's why I'm just trying to throw that out there. The, the other thing, Alex, yeah. that I really took away from that is that not all of these reconstruction checkerboard techniques are created equal. And I think no. we've seen some that look excellent in the final form mm -hmm. and almost impossible to tell that it's not just a native image. And then we've seen others that are exceptionally poor. Uh, I wouldn't say Avengers is exceptionally poor, but it's definitely on the lower half in terms of the way it resolves in the final image compared to many other examples we've seen in the past few years. So uh, yeah, I just don't want people to walk away from your video and say, oh, well, checkerboarding's bad now. No, they, they made some specific choices <laughs> there. Like, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't uncommon in the PlayStation 4 Pro generation to like have your post-processing done before checkerboarding. Mm -hmm. A number of PlayStation headliner titles do it because it's just like really expensive to have native resolution um, post-processing. So they still kept that for like the, the PlayStation 5 version, it looks like, uh, with um, their, 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 their highest performance mode. Um, but it, you know, they maybe did that for a reason though, for ease of porting. Maybe they also did it because if you actually do look at the checkerboarding footage, that it still does drop the resolution. Uh, you know, so it is obviously it still needs to drop to keep performance up. Uh, so it's not like they, all these decisions are just like complex development decisions. And yeah, I'd agree with you, John, though, that we've seen better. But at the same time, other games aren't targeting like 60 FPS with all the, you know, very game specific things that this one's doing. So, yeah, just I think there's been a lot of interest in this one, though, because by and large, with a couple of uh, exceptions, such as Hitman 3, developers have gone for parity. Yeah, you know, in terms of uh, rendering presentations, and sometimes the PlayStation Five produces a slightly higher pixel count or a slightly higher frame rate. Other times it's Xbox Series X, but this is a game similar to Hitman Three, where the developers have actually chosen two very different um, uh, sort of end results in terms of how yep. they output resolution. So again, it's really early days. In the uh, in the kind of next gen conflict, but um, it's an interesting data point, and it's kind of going to be interesting to see where we go from here mm -hmm. going forward. All, all I will say, I think the the big takeaway for me was um, uh, the storage side of things it was kind of arguably a bit more interesting from my perspective because oh. thus far we've just seen developers leaning into 
the physical makeup of the hardware to get faster loading times. Nixis went the full, you know, they went the full mile. They they actually used those low-level APIs. And we are seeing the kind of orders of magnitude increase in performance or reduction in loading times that is genuinely game-changing. Yeah. And it kind of landed where I suspected it would, which is that, you know, the PlayStation 5 has technically the faster SSD, uh, and that is reflected in the results. But when you're talking about orders of magnitude in terms of improvement, uh, the perception of, you know, four seconds versus six seconds is, you know, there's there's not really that much in it, right? There's not really. And there's also another point in there. Um, I didn't talk about in the video because it's not exactly something I can just confirm really easily. in outlets, like the way we describe it in our videos. But if you look at the file sizes between the PlayStation 5 version, the Xbox Series version of this game, you'll see that the Xbox Series version is actually quite a bit larger. And we also saw this in Control as well, too. Um, So I think one thing that we that is still that we still have yet to see exactly uh, due to these file size differences is that we have yet to see um, what it is like on the Xbox side when a game is also using real-time decompression uh, to accelerate loading. Because it seems like it's there based upon the file size on the PlayStation 5 version, but it seems to not be there on the Xbox Series version. And there may be GDK, GDK uh, ver- reasons for that, uh, why that's the case, but it's going to be really interesting one day, maybe with the next Call of Duty is like the kind of game I could imagine where that would happen, uh, where they're like using the new loading and they're both using the uh, propriety, uh, proprietary compression types. And we'll see that reflected in the file sizes. And this will be like the actual first real benchmark of next-gen SSDs going full throttle with compression and decompression. So that's just another thing I want to say. Okay. All right, everyone. So before we head into the Q&A for this week, we have a new segment we would like to debut on this uh, special episode. We're going to call this What's in the Box, Rich? Applause, everyone. I refuse to applaud this. So the rules of this game is quite simple. There are no rules because it's not a game. Uh, Rich actually very generously gave me his home address to have me send stuff to him. Isn't that right, Rich? No, John gave it to you. That's right. Well, we can talk about that with the local authorities later. But I sent you two boxes. I sent you two boxes this week uh, with some surprises in them. And we are going to open them up for all of you to watch today. Yeah, I think a bit of background first. I've been posting on Twitter these, I I refer to them as brown packages. Uh, Not just in color. Surly special. Well, yeah, the surly special. And it's, 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 put it this way, I now know why my dog barks at the letterbox. (laughs) Anyway, this is the first one. And, Mm -hmm. um... Looks interesting. uh, What do you think it is? Well... 
Well, it's it's basically some sort of uh, <laughs> CD case. What I'm intrigued by is uh, the Royal Mail has classed it as um, second-class large letter. So if I'm not getting a large letter, I'm going to be profoundly disappointed. Whoa. But <laughs> what if we just can't stop laughing? <laughs> Class rubbish. Well, the good news is the good news is is that my trash can is literally you know, within within throwing distance. Well, it's good to so, know the uh, logistics of your room. But uh, let's uh, what do you yeah. think it is, though? Let's have it. Let's a, open the, the first what's, special show. What's your feeling on this, Rich? What is it? My feeling is revulsion, <laughs> despair, disgust. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here it is. <laughs> That's one of the best. <laughs> um, it's actually quite interesting. Crazy Fog Racer. Oh, it's interesting. And, uh, at, at the bottom there. <laughs> yes. Which is ind indicative of the overall content. It says, uh, featuring... Featuring... The annoying thing. Yeah. Gosh. So I, I've got to ask: uh, Have you made a guest appearance? <laughs> oh, uh, I'll be in the sequel. Uh, so re see, uh, why see don't what? you read the back of the box and see what kind of game well, it is? Well, I, I don't really want to, but what I will say is you, you're getting um, uh, you're getting quite an impressive manual. Oh, how many pages to it? That's actually pretty beefy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of information in there. Maybe uh, for Patreon, we'll do an exclusive read-through with you. A dramatic well, reading, a dramatic dramatic reading of the Crazy Frog Racer manual. It's going to be, um, I would suspect, some uh, some good toilet reading. <laughs> so we have um, the disc here, which is uh, oh, blue. classic oh, CDs. Yeah. Yeah, lovely, isn't it? Phoenix if Games could get a clue. <laughs> so, yeah, this is kind of baffling. <laughs> ride, ride with the annoying thing which I am doing week in, week out in a high octane riot through cityscapes and underground underground mayhem. Yeah, Bla blast your opponents. Picking up zany power-ups and zany. super boosts. Of course, it's zany. This is your chance to either. <laughs> this is your chance to either join the annoying thing, <laughs> or submit or help or help beat him. Um, the, the, the words, the phrase "beat him" is appropriate. Over eight, eight. Over eight unique characters, so I suspect. Ooh. Over eight? Much? Why not the exact number? It's from like, the entire what? Crazy Frog universe. It's amazing. Yeah, there's a universe. The okay. So, there, I don't know, nine unique characters then? Uh, over eight. So you're different... underselling the game on the back of the box, is what you're saying. Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Uh, four different multiplayer modes. Uh, th this is quite sort of um, <laughs> presumptuous, isn't it? It, it, it suggests that people will want to, more than one person, i.e. you, will want to play it. We're reviewing Crazy Frog live on <laughs> DF Weekly. And uh, yeah, 12, How many years 12... in the industry, Rich? 
Um, <laughs> well, the pinnacle. It's it's thirty actually. Yeah. Thirty one this year, and in all of those years, <laughs> I've managed to avoid <laughs> this nonsense. Actually. Rich, just really quickly, I think one thing, you know the, the, the date of your first article or first contribution? Because it could, yeah, it could it, align with my birthday. Thank That's you for the I'm thumbnail curious. for this video, by the way. It's kind of, um, it would be around uh, July 1990, Alex. Okay, so, so I'm April 1990, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I was still at school then. So, uh, anyway, look, Crazy Fog Racer. Um, <laughs> yes. I'll tell you what, it's the it's the PAL version, so I'm I'm wishing all of the slowdown and letterboxing in the world on you when you eventually what, I mean, game. do you think that was released in any other territory? No. I think it was. Not. I think there no is an NTSC no, version. No, I don't well, know. We'll find out in Rich's mailbox in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but Rich, there is another box. Um... Well, there's another. This is the kind of archetypal uh, <laughs> brown package that, that typically. It's a I mean, you know, brown, to, to be clear, brown package is you know it's it's, it's a <laughs> phrase, <laughs> phrase with many meanings. It works on on at least two levels. You know, most people get um, like the shivers when they get like a letter from the IRS and stuff, but you. You get like anxiety when there's a box well, showing up. My, you know, the thing is, my taxes are imperfect. Really. <laughs> All right, this is, this, this is far worse. <laughs> well, what do you think this is before you open it? I don't care. <laughs> why, why should I care? Because it's, it's like, your you know, show. It's oh, what's in the box, Rich. <laughs> Don't you remember you told me in the middle of the night? Visited your Here we go. What is it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all I'm going to say is that it looks as though I've opened the packages in the correct order. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, who. Right, okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> do you have any, uh, actually, Alex, we'll start with you. Do you have any guesses on, to, on what this, uh, a guess. this, I mean, I would... di this digital detritus actually is? It's digital. No? Uh, uh... Well, it's, di it's digital in that there are bits on a disc. Supposedly. Uh, uh, I guess it could be... Uh... Could be a CDI game. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say. No. It's, oh, no. <laughs> at this at this point, I'd welcome that. <laughs> it is crazy for <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's what I didn't expect. <laughs> This is like the post-credit sequence of Crazy Frogs. So Rich, it's, I think so Rich, the selling, the selling point. Is <laughs> oh, mm. uh, because you know, obviously, buoyed by the success. Writing <laughs> <laughs> that, sh yeah. Is there um, a copyright date on that <laughs> thing? <laughs> uh, well, actually, there were, there were a couple of interesting data points we'll go through. But first of all, all right. um, in terms of marketing points, obviously, the, you know, the, the phenomenal success of the first one, obviously, they, you know, they think that uh, lightning can strike twice because, it, it, again, it, it's featuring the annoying thing. <laughs> so... 
So, Audi, they they invited you back. uh... I'm always welcome. Yeah, well, in some quarters. In some quarters, quarters, right. And, uh, but they have added a new selling point to this one. Uh, it includes Crazy Frog music. Oh, um, okay. Oh, yeah. God. Wait, does that mean that um, the first one does not include Crazy Frog well, music? I don't know. All right. But, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're getting the, um, the classic uh, version of Axel F. Oh, uh, yes. From, from Crazy Frog. You should put that in there. Now, okay, the, the other interesting data point, right? Okay, the first one is uh, is suitable for ages three and up, mm. okay? The sequel, it's a game changer, seven and up. Oh, they went dark with this one. They, yeah. they, yeah, they went the darkest they went, of the trilogy. <laughs> it's like dark. the wrench of the Sith. Sorry, I mean, prop. if you've seen a full-body <laughs> image of the of the annoying thing, uh, maybe they censored. Oh yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll have to pixelate that. Yeah. That's well, true. You know, put it this way: um, Peggy, the uh, the ratings authority, basically <laughs> banned this sick film <laughs> from, from anyone. Why welcome? Age seven uh, or other six and lower, and you know, I applaud them for their decision. Do you think this is a better um, game, though? Do you think they improved on various aspects, or do you think it's mostly the same? I can only go by the marketing because I am never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I, I will destroy all PlayStation 2s before I uh, load this game. Wait for the video <laughs> that we're going to make in this game. <laughs> Join us yeah. on Patreon for the five-part series, Rich Plus Crazy Frog Racer. Mm. Um, okay, well, the, or the join me at the employment office tomorrow. The, it says here, the annoying thing is cranking up the speed for his latest and greatest racing adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. Crazy Frog <laughs> Racer 2, exclamation point. Take control of the evil boss drone. The sub zone, the hol- the holiday thing. <laughs> All right. Was there? Did he? Was oh, that sad? Thing? There's an annoying thing, and there's a holiday thing. Is the anno- is the holiday thing basically where you are granted blessed relief from uh, rich exposure? There's only one way to find out. Let's play the game <laughs> yeah. together. No. I just no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, the bullet points. Uh, unleash unleash new explosive power-ups onto unsuspecting racers. I kind of know what that feels like. <laughs> Such as the toxic cloud. Oh, Which, no. you know, this game is a, a toxic cloud. Uh, oil puddle and flash. Uh, again, massive levels of presumption here. Four, four new multiplayer I'm battle sure arenas. They'll back it up. For frantic, <laughs> frantic split screen action. Cool new, oh god, mini games. Wow. Oh, no. I, thought, I, thought, I thought they were Stadia exclusive. Um, cra- crazy Pinball and Crazy Dance. That, that one's for you, obviously. Uh, yes. uh, race across the popular Crazy. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> <laughs> There's, I'm, I'm taking these people to the, uh, to the advertising standard race across the, cra- the, the popular Crazy Frog universe as seen on TV oh no 
as seen on TV. Uh, well, obviously, my TV was turned off at the time. It was a bit. Uh, <laughs> made pop, made popular. I mean, this is you know they've got the word popular twice in the same sentence. <laughs> let's let's just take it from the top. Race across the popular Crazy Frog universe as seen on TV. Made popular by video. <laughs> Made video, made popular by videos such as Popcorn. You also, by the way, you get Popcorn <laughs> as part of the musical mix. Oh, oh god! Mm, wow! Uh, wow! Oh, wow! We are the champions. So, the, 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 <laughs> oh the, gosh, the, the Crazy Frog was quite prolific. He ruined everything and, and, he liked, and indeed horrific. <laughs> so um, it doesn't yeah, say that. It doesn't say and horrific. <laughs> It doesn't need to. Sustain it on the cover. Let's take a look. Well, the good news is, is that you know that they've saved the world's resources with a much, much thinner, thinner manual, which is good. The disc, it's another blue, another blue one, another CD, blue one, yeah. Did they pay extra for that? No, no, no. CDs were blue and DVDs were silver. Yeah, but you know, would you? Would you want to give any level of prestige to this? <laughs> well, I, think it, I think it would have cost them more to press it on a DVD, so they went for the cheap option. Right, okay. I'm kind of wishing that, you know, that the, the PlayStation supported those mini-discs used by the, the GameCube just to cut down on the horrific waste <laughs> of world resources. That's, that's why we got to the so, PSP. Well, yeah. so that's um, that. Uh, well, you know, thank you for um, actually making the case for the closure of digital stores. If it means that <laughs> don't need to uh, access nonsense like this. We work on multiple levels here at Digital Foundry, mostly yeah. the lowest level for me. Walrich, thank you for partaking in this first episode of many. What's in the box, Rich? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I usually hold the dog back from attacking the male. But in this case, all yeah. bets are off. I don't think your dog think wants to actually be near those. You see, what I do have to give you kudos for is that um, they both arrived on the same day. Presumably mm. from oh, different sellers. I only pay for the highest shipping. <laughs> right. <laughs> What, you mean uh, second class? <laughs> yes. Right, okay. There, there is a first class, spoilers. Yeah, but, okay. I mean, price. Can we uh, put this behind us and move on to something better? Yes, let's move on to the questions. But thank you so much, Rich. <clears throat> uh, you'll note I didn't say you're welcome. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know it, I know it. <laughs> All right, so we uh, put up our uh, weekly uh, call for questions on the Patreon. I don't think I need to mention that one more time. And uh, we got, as usual, a plethora of questions. Many, many. Uh, we can't get to all of them. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> but uh, we have been talking about in the Discord that we will be doing a summary at the end of the month with uh, some questions we didn't get to with uh, John, Rich, Alex, uh, where we will go through all the different questions that we didn't get to answer and answer them in a Patreon exclusive video. So don't worry if we didn't get to yours. Uh, it's just an interest of time that we can't do everything, but we will be making our way through most of them. But uh, let's jump to uh, one from Alex Mob. Uh, he says, oh, this is a long one. Mm -hmm. I need to read for this one. 
Hey, DF crew, have you ever considered adding some sort of feels-like metric to your performance graphs? In your videos, you give your impressions whether, whether or not performance dips affect the gameplay. Do you think this is measurable? So for example, a dip from 60 to 40 would be more yellow in the graph, whereas a dip from 120 to 90 would still be green. Of course, that's also dependent on how many dips there are in total, frame time pacing, whether or not you're using VRR display, and etc. But I've been wondering about this. That's actually a really interesting idea because um, frame time is far more important than frame rate when you're dealing with uh, high refresh rate displays. Mm -hmm. So the difference between 120 and 90 frames per second um, on a VRR screen is really difficult to tell, whereas the difference between 30 to 60 frames per second is uh, a night and day difference. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting idea. You'd kind of, I guess change the, the color I, I don't think you can do much with the frame rate graph because it's you know it is what it is mm -hmm. the frame time graph is is kind of where it is and um, you know in theory you could color code them depending on the severity of the dip um, be a lot easier to do sort of you know sub 30 because things start to get really choppy when you're sort of into the mid 20s and whatnot Interesting idea. I don't know what you think about that, John. Yeah, I like that idea as well. I was just, in my head, I was just thinking about trying to do something in Premiere with that, just to like sort of color code like under a certain threshold. But I don't know. It, it could, it's something that we'd have to fiddle with. But I do like the idea of sort of uh, changing the color of the, of the frame time graph or something. You know, it would say green, green is like mm -hmm. 30. Uh, extra green is like no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, is a sixty and up. But if it goes under thirty, then it would be yellow, and then <clears> under twenty, it'd be red or something. You know, so, something like that. Um, I think the problem is that you can have um, a really great thirty FPS frame rate readout, but if the input lag is is high, uh, yeah, then... actually you're right. It's not just about those raw numbers, is it? It's about the overall feeling, like the input latency, the way the frames pres present themselves. Uh, any issues that could pop like there's so many different things that factor into how smooth the game feels you know even right down to the way it uses motion blur or something and yeah i feel like camera movements you know i'm mm -hmm. not sure if we could color code I mean, the graph necessarily but maybe there's some way something to think about with like how we some some score or metric we could give in terms of how how pleasant it feels to play given its frame rate i don't know something like that Something to think about. Well, there's another thing as well, which is, you know, let's say this runs at 60 frames per second. You know, would you want a green line attached to that? I don't I don't think mm -hmm. so. No, no. definitely There's not. a PC version, though. So, you know, you could run that at, like, HFR 120. Well, I'll leave that to you, Alex. Is a PC version <laughs> of Crazy Frog Racer? And two. What? No. Yeah. Oh. I Google this. We'll <laughs> add that to the list of... Uh... Rich and Audi plays Crazy Frog Racer exclusively on Patreon. Did they, did, did they ever complete the trilogy? I have to ask. I don't know. Mm. I don't think so. Not until yeah. we do it, Rich. Together. Right. Okay. <laughs> do you... Uh, next question. Yeah, next question. Yeah. All right. So from the Scarecrow 121, <sighs> uh, what are some of your non-game related hobbies or things you do to wind down after a hard day of benchmarking? Uh, let's start with uh, Rich. Um, well, this is a full-time job, and it basically can stretch way into what you might consider to be 
relaxing time. So I don't really have a huge amount of hobbies. I quite like flying my drone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, one thing which I might well do on the um, uh, on the, the planned behind the scenes access, I quite like searching out for, I guess you could call them potentially collectible pieces of technology. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on my videos I've had, um, I used to have anyway, before I moved my office, there was an old Motorola brick phone in the background. I actually have a brick phone which should in theory operate on a modern cellular network. So maybe I'll whip that out, charge it up and see if I could give John a call. That'd be cool. <laughs> uh, I, and I also got um, from Facebook Marketplace a first gen iPhone which just from, you know, it didn't cost me anything, although they are becoming quite collectible. Um, I'm just kind of curious to see what that is actually like, because that was the first properly mass market. It's, you know, it's the smart, it's not the first smartphone. Uh, that would be, uh, uh, I, I don't know We'd what it's actually, but I do own one. I, do own one. <laughs> I did buy one of those as well, yeah. So, you know, basically I'm kind of interested in these kind of game-changing pieces of technology that... Um, uh, are kind of under underappreciated. So yeah, you know, the, the iPhone is considered to be the first mainstream smartphone, but there was one before it. I, I got both of them just for my sort of mm-hmm. technical curiosity. I've also been kind of looking at um, uh, the first generation DLSRs mm. uh, because that, they're, they're quite important. And um, originally to begin with, they were basically standard Canon SLRs with huge kind of clutches dongles strapped to the bottom hmm. uh, which which turned them into digital devices and then they did the first integrated i think it was um nokia not nokia uh nikon did the first proper dlsr as we know it today and it, apparently it still produces pretty good pictures so i'm kind of curious in getting one of those you can pick those up for like 50 quid on ebay and i'm well, kind of just interested in seeing uh it could be some interesting hashtag content uh, yeah. It's just for my own technical curiosity. The other thing I'm really into, electric cars. I've got a BMW mm. i3. Um, I just think it's the, it is the future. And um, I just love the, the kind of technology. It's, it's a race to, to kind of make this mainstream. You know, there's a lot of great stuff happening in EVs at the moment. The range is going up. The driving experience is great. Um, the reason I like the BMW, first of all, well, the, the Tesla is too expensive in the UK. The BMW, um, it's just like driving a concept car. It, it, the concept car is very, very similar to the final production model. And the way it's built is nothing like a standard conventional car. Uh, but yeah, the whole EV thing, that's going to be huge over the next few years. And I'm kind of interested in that as well. Um I don't know. That's kind of the, the extent of it. I suppose you could say it's, you know, extensions to to digital foundry in a way, and that it is still technology based. I remember that's kind of where I'm at. I remember when we were at E3 last time, how we got to give a shout out to our good friend Raymond Chen because he got to ride with you in his Tesla. And yeah, that, that was, was interesting. Yeah, that was fun. They, I mean, that was my first real uh, example of just the brutal torque that a EV can give you mm-hmm. because you just get all power directly down to the wheels immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, funnily enough, at the time, I wasn't too impressed with the, the Tesla in terms of the interior. But uh, since I did a test drive in the Performance Model 3, mm-hmm. my my, uh, my view on, on the car has 
radically improved. It's uh, it's just insane what that, that car is doing. But at the same time, you know, one thing that I will say about my BMW, the interior is just incredible. And uh, the Tesla's a bit of a downgrade after that. But um, yeah. yeah, I'm sticking with the BMW for now. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with EVs. I, I'm loving that. So a range of interests, I guess. But, um, you know, Digital Foundry as a job is very, very demanding. So there's not a huge amount of time for, for winding down. Luckily, it goes but, into our interest, though. So it's a mm, fun job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, you made a pretty fun place to work, Rich. So. Uh, well, thank you for that. Yeah. I don't know how much fun it's going to be for you after this. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> uh... Uh, John, what about your hobbies outside of this lovely job? Oh, I mean, you know, uh, the stuff that's connected to it, obviously, and then all the richer gaming stuff and all that, but then other media, you know, I enjoy like music and films as well. But beyond that, I really, I just love, um, I love going for cycling a lot. I try mm -hmm. to do that as much as I can, especially on the weekends, just like hopping on the bike and going down the river, uh, and just basically spending the whole day out there. That's really fun. Uh, I enjoy that a lot, you know uh spending time with the family of course that's mm -hmm. great that's always a good thing to do i mean a lot of this stuff has been limited by this current pandemic situation so like what other things i used to do with like travel and uh not really <laughs> feasible right now so I'm just kind of stuck here all the time uh you know i also you know other technology i'm also really into cars car is in general though not just evs but i'm you know and I, uh, I do enjoy taking out when I get the chance to drive some more exotic cars once in a while. I don't own an exotic <laughs> car, but uh, it is fun. It's so I like that kind of stuff as well. And, you know, home theater equipment. I like building up my setup and optimizing all of that as well. That's a, it's a fun thing to do, uh, but it gets expensive. But, yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, I really enjoy movies on the side of video games. And... You know, outside of doing DF and game producing, I've done a lot of uh, audio commentaries for Hong Kong action films released on Blu-ray. So that's kind of like my secret side gig at the moment. I understand you had a, uh, a problem with, uh, I mean, we all do, but you had a problem specifically with uh, Steven Seagal. Yes, uh, because I did some Van Damme uh, commentaries and uh, someone on his management level emailed me and said that like we would really prefer if you did not compare the martial arts uh, background and the uh, um, uh, skills of mr seagal and mr van damme uh, this is a like something that's stuck in the 90s and they don't care anymore and uh, what's funny is that i never really talked about that i think seagal's martial arts prowess back in the day was just fine um, not so much today, uh, but back then, fine. Uh, but it's the acting that generally I uh, really uh, criticized for Mr. Seagal. And mm -hmm. uh, they didn't mention anything about that in the email. So, um, whereas I think uh, Van Damme is actually quite a good actor when you look yeah. at his uh, expressions and uh, mm -hmm. all that and whatnot. He's a pretty good, understated actor. Yeah. So are we to take it that you are marked for death? I am. That Seagal yes. is, is out for justice. You could say I'm already half past dead. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're on deadly ground. I am on deadly grounds. And I have nowhere to run. 
Okay, got it. So um, at some point you're going to be under siege. I was going to say that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe I'll escape, but I'll be under siege too. Yeah, you see, you see, under siege too. I actually quite enjoy. It. There's a specific. Oh, there's a where, um, yes. That's just so hokey. That's good. Yeah, there's under, a specific bit in it where Sigal is uh, shot in the shoulder, yeah. and then um, they say, you know, he's he's comrades go to him and say hey you okay what's going on and he just pretends for the rest of the movie that he wasn't shot in the shoulder and there is no there is no physical evidence that he was shot in the shoulder i ain't whatsoever. got time to bleed he literally he literally just shrugged off a bullet wound <clears throat> to the shoulder it's just like it's a remarkable it's a remarkable state of affairs so outside of uh, hong kong action and whatnot i really do enjoy cooking with my uh, lovely uh, VV. So I cook a lot <laughs> during my time off. It's very therapeutic, and I like driving at night. I also like to walk on the beach and read a good novel. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, you, Alex? I've got a couple. Uh, I do like playing a lot of guitar and like composing stuff for myself, um, like electric guitar, acoustic guitar. But I, you know, I have kind of a limited limited setup these days. Used to have a pretty nice amp setup that I don't have anymore. Um, other than that, uh, I do collect and paint and read a lot of mm. Warhammer fiction because I'm mm. pretty big into like Warhammer 40k, Games Workshop product. Uh, just ever since I was a child, kind of just obsessed with that universe. I think it's just really well done. Um, other than that, uh, if it wasn't Corona pandemic times, I actually really did like going to a lot of the local theaters here in Berlin because it's really great theater scene here but uh, the last one we went to was like September and it's really great uh, kind of uh, theater around here called the Schaubühne which uh, they have like just like really great uh, directors that come in uh, like their, their their local how do you call that like set of actors is just incredibly talented but the one last show I went to unfortunately I wasn't super impressed with and then the, like the lockdown came in so I had like still a little bit of bad taste in my mouth that I haven't been get been able to get rid of since then so I just can't wait for the pandemic to be over and go check out some theater do you um do you spend time in your special room Alex because your video feed I can't you know there's that door behind you <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it well, like, is it like your special room? What's going on in there? Is, that, mean, is there like a, a walrus colony in there? <laughs> it's you know your typical German sex dungeon. I think everyone has okay. one. Oh, I was, gonna, I was gonna say like it's like in the you know the Simpsons episode when they go oh. to New York and Bart goes yes. to the mad offices and they it's like oh dude, this is just a normal office. There's nothing fun happening here. And then they open the door and it's just a wild, uh, crazy mad magazine party. Yeah. I love or, or maybe sort of some sort of Berlin discotheque. You sort of open the door <laughs> and there's this sudden I'm, thumping uh, dance music. And... I've been to places that literally have like basement parties where you just open a door and the, all of a sudden there's a discotheque group like there. Uh, so but no one's dancing. They're just sitting but down smoking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who does that? Uh, yeah. At some point, we're going to have to answer the mystery of what's behind that door. <laughs> Patreon exclusive, I'm telling you. Question mark on top of that door right there. Yes. Uh, let's see, which one should we pick here? Uh, from Glasgow Graham. 
Do you think DLSS and uh, Unreal Engine 5's Nanite will have a big impact on PC VR games, not only improving rendering resolution and close-up detail, but lowering the GPU entry barrier for high-end VR visuals? Yeah, uh, yes and yes. The only thing is I have yet to try out any DLSS with uh, VR. And, you know, VR makes it so that anything that is based on temporal information tends to break down a little bit more because it's so close to your face. Yeah. Um, uh, at the same time, though, DLSS avoids a lot of the problems normal TAA has. And uh, in VR, you're working at a higher frame rate anyway. So I have yet to try it out. I, I would like to see what it looks like. But I think something like the, the quality mode uh, of DLSS could be pretty awesome for VR. That's just kind of how I see it, yeah. I mean, you're still fundamentally still, we're bumping up against the limitations of the, the resolution on the headsets, still, yeah. right? So you can super sample the heck out of an image, but you're still limited by the panel resolution within the headsets. And that's something that's gonna continue to improve, I think, in time. But uh, right now there is still a bit of a screen door effect. I mean, it's been, it's been kind of minimized, but you can definitely see that it's not you know, as sharp as you. Um, I don't really have a huge investment in VR. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I think the lighting technology of Nanite um, uh, could be pretty impressive. Just general UE5 mm -hmm. yeah. detail levels that we've seen in that demo could be quite game changing. Um, interested to see how that all works out with uh, the new PlayStation headset as well, uh, but which we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I don't really have a huge amount to contribute on that. Yeah. Uh, certainly do on a couple of the other questions that we've got on the docket there. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll have to save them. But uh, I guess we can quickly answer from Docs1231. Uh, hey, Rich, would you rather play all the Bubsy games back-to-back -back or all the CDI games back-to-back? -back? Um, well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Is, the note that's is, not from Bob Dutch this week. He, he, I, I, know, I some, don't know somebody, where he is. Somebody real has actually come up with this question. Yes. Which is quite hey, hey now. Bob Dutch is uh, real. I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer that question with another question. Um, is death a third, a potential third option? <laughs> we'll follow up on that next week. Um, let's do one more question. Uh, given mm -hmm. the PSN closures, what does Microsoft's big focus on back compatibility do to the value of the series consoles versus PS5? Does Sony need to add more value to PS Plus? I mean, I don't know that they have to do anything, really, because people seem to be happy enough with it. But um, that's, that's a tricky one. I don't know. Um, I think there's uh, immediate value to, to having backwards compatibility for this generation because of the huge library of the last generation, which hasn't actually been sort of, you know, the last generation doesn't look bad. It doesn't no. actually look last generation mm, at the no. moment. So the ability to take those games and make them run better on the current system is, is a really good thing to have. Um, does Sony need to add more value to PlayStation Plus? Well, you know, they're giving away control. You know, they're, they're giving away huge games at the moment. They're on a huge push for subscribers, and I think they are delivering value. How that ties into um, compatibility with prior systems, I think there is there, there are some missed opportunities here. I mean, um, the PlayStation 4 had a PlayStation 2 emulator. It wasn't the best 
um, but not enough was done. No. There were far too few titles put out there. You couldn't run your discs on it for various reasons. That's a that's a, a real problem. Um, I think I'm right in saying that there's no PS1 emulation on PlayStation 4. Mm. Bearing in mind that you could run everything on the PlayStation 3 if you had the disc. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, I do think that Sony kind of needs to be um, a bit more cognizant of the fantastic legacy they have over those generations and to bring it to the latest hardware as well. The only one that's going to be logistically um, difficult is going to be PlayStation 3. But based on what we've seen on PC emulation there, there's clearly a route forward there. Yeah, that's a shame because and, it really could use that. Like PS3 yep. games have a lot of issues with performance that uh, if they were taking the Microsoft approach on PS5 with that, that would be fantastic. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's this is a perfect yeah. scenario. This is a massive, potentially crowd-pleasing thing that Sony could do that they're not doing at the moment. And uh, I would like to see that extra value, but I don't think it should necessarily be part of PlayStation Plus. Um, yeah. I think they just need to add value system-wide yep. and you know get those games playable on the, on the system. I think it can handle it. A lot of um, comments about the peculiarities of the PlayStation 3 cell architecture. I think the PlayStation 5 could could deliver um, deliver those titles. I mean, you know, the, the emulation we've seen on PC has been quite remarkable. It is. Mm -hmm. Sony would have a far closer uh, understanding of the hardware than those guys. So surely something must be able to be done. At least a game per per game, you know, optimization yeah. would be Microsoft also, style. Yeah. yeah. And uh, another thing to add about the PS Plus from a publisher standpoint, which I have, is just oh. they need to market it better than they do because you know the game pass stuff where microsoft is very visible whereas ps plus i generally find kind of hard to discover via playstation's own or sony's own channels and that's just my publisher standpoint on that having actually worked with ps plus cool uh, by the way that question was from ice more butts i think we should know <laughs> you are the supporter of the month <laughs> Well, a gentleman, so it's a fantastic Audi. hacker alias. There's still, yeah. there's still one more question right above that that you should probably ask. Well, yeah, let's do it. All right, from Big Dalla Dalla. Who had better yeah. hair back in the day, Richard Ledbetter or Jazz Rignall? Well, this is a fascinating question that's going to be befuddling historians <laughs> decades, <laughs> hundreds of years to come. And um, I think, you know, Jazz takes it easily from my perspective. However, what I will say is that uh, I'm glad to see that the legacy is living on because something that popped up in our um, Slack channel, I think it was yesterday or the day before, Alex seems to be exhibiting, I'd say possibly 60% of my 90s haircut. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, it's just getting there. <laughs> it's, you know, it's heartening. You know, this is... Uh, what can I say? I'm touched. It's an inspiration <laughs> for, for the ages. Thanks, everybody. Exactly. We all share a symbiotic relationship where, you know, our genes are still being spliced, <laughs> even though there are no uh, DNA swapped. Thank you all so much for joining this episode. Uh, you can, of course, follow us on Twitter. You can find our Twitter handles on the uh, video feed here. And as well, go to at Digital Foundry for the official account. You can ring the notification bell, subscribe, and get the latest videos right through your mailbox or your subscription page. And of course, as usual, 
uh, you can find us on Patreon, where we are doing a lot of new things. So thank you so much for watching this episode, and uh, see you next week. Rich, it can't get any worse from here. It's over.